Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of Double DM Podcast, where we talk about... Mm-hmm. I don't know what we're talking about today. I totally forgot what the topic of today's episode is. I know it's gonna be a great one. Because all episodes of Double DM are great, right? Perfectly fine to say that. Definitely Perfectly no shenanigans ever. is what he says. Um, oh, it will be amazing. We, we're, we're talking about, I, I remember, we're talking about high-level play. Hmm. Playing at levels where the characters are overpowered as shit, can beat nearly every single normal enemy, and what you as a dungeon master or game master can do about it to give your players the challenge and satisfaction of being overpowered at the same time. So, first, before we dive into that question, we need to discuss... What happened in our weeks today? So, Nils, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Nothing much really happened. Uh, yesterday, we painted the new flat of uh, one of my best friends. After that, mm-hmm. we got burgers. Mm-hmm. Overall, just a fun day. Shenanigans painted each other sometimes, even, because when you have enough color left over, that's what you do, right? That's that's just a normal, perfectly normal thing to do. Giving each other the handprint of Saruman. Every, oh, yeah. Well, that, that's just normal, Totally right? normal, totally normal. Okay, perfect. Yeah, good, 100%. Good, good to know. 100%. Saruman <laughs> <laughs> prints all over, but in different colors, because we didn't paint it just white, but every wall had a different color, basically. It harmonizes well. I, I was just about I, to ask, does it harmonize well and does it look good? Because because as a best friend, when one of my best friends comes to me and says, let's paint my room in like however many different colors, I'm going to look at them like, don't get me wrong. I understand the aesthetic appeal of having more than just white walls to look at. But you know that that's going to be a pain in the ass to figure out what works well together. And mm-hmm. the thing about white walls is you can decorate them very easily. Yeah, with everything. But, 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 on, a, but white, basically. on a red wall wall i wouldn't mm-hmm. put i don't know what a, a yellow something yellow might work but it's tougher to decorate and they definitely created a color concept that works it works pretty uh-huh. well but when i first heard it i was like oh, okay that's a challenge that's a choice by the way too <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> most definitely like but i was yeah. very happy that i didn't have to paint anything for me mm-hmm. to move into this apartment because that would have just been with these high walls that i have it would have just been a pain in the ass Oh yeah, it would have but been. But I actually have thought about uh, maybe making one of the walls black. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a choice. And because it can definitely work. But uh, with dark colors, you always have to look out that the room doesn't uh, itself doesn't get too dark if you don't want it. My living room is that um, currently it's very bare. But I've been more and more uh, thinking about going into more um, maximalist style mm-hmm. and uh, putting a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, just clutter the place up. The more time I spend on TikTok, the more I realize that I'm very much enjoy... Uh, the maximalist goth aesthetic Mm -hmm. of stuff of having i don't know random skull flower pots all over the room um (laughs) that (laughs) (laughs) okay it will be something to look at when i visit again yeah uh, right now it hasn't really changed and i still like i wouldn't have that much space because i still have to have the room for basic functions but the walls I have the ability to, to to make a lot of fun stuff with my walls, Just I think. Just shelves all over the walls with skull yeah. 
flower pots. Yeah. Amazing. Even though I'm not a flower person, but I love sky flower <laughs> pots for some reason. Um, no, but um, yeah. Just don't put flowers in the flower pots. Just put something different. Yeah, maybe. Um, the thing is right about my, my, my living room, since the only events I really host here are the uh, TTRPG evenings I host here. Otherwise, I mostly go outside to do the stuff I want to do, or we do the stuff over Discord because most of my friends don't necessarily live close by anymore. I can decorate the room to fit a, a very cool TTRPG aesthetic, right? I told you about the kind of antique uh, shop library vibe that would really fit well with that min maximalist goth aesthetic of having like mm -hmm. a bookshelf that is also just filled with a random skull, an old bottle with a scroll in it or something, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it would just be fun to look at. It could also be a very fun story where if someone else ever enters that room that doesn't know that I'm that type of person or that type of TTRPG and they're like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yep, this and is then, what you signed up for. Have fun. Yeah, and then just the whole flat basically in uh, Dark Academy uh vibes. Yeah, I don't want it to be too much on the nose, though. Mm -hmm. I still want it to be a normal living room, because it's the only living room I have. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna go easy on that. But there are obvi obviously Niels. As the person that I am, I have theoretical sketch plans on, on random websites for sketching your living room. If I ever do get a flat with a real living room that I could with more rooms where I could make one into a pure TTRPG room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely oh. not me also having no. that. No, no. I just have Who to, would we be, I just right, have to we... win the lottery, buy a house, and then I'm happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel that. Gambling is dangerous. <laughs> Do not gamble. Okay, so that's cool. And you, you finished the flat. You Now it looks good. You've got burgers after. Nice. Exactly. Uh, we are not completely done, but mm -hmm. um, two rooms are still missing, but they are pretty small. Also all in different colors? Of course. Mm -hmm. Like the whole flat in different colors? Well, the bedroom was one color on the walls and then we'll get a picture wall basically oh and then a different color on the ceiling then the um, office will have light desaturated green on top in the top two thirds and on the ceiling and on the bottom third it's going to be a dark forest green the living room will be one cherry red wall oh and damn like it's not even like a no, no, red right it's, no, it's, no, it's a very it's, colorful popping, very red. popping red holy shit okay I, with I gold love glitter it. in it by I the love way. it I love it so yeah much. it's amazing and the uh, the other two sides are more of a orange terracotta kind of thing what the hell and the opposite side of the red wall will be a very desaturated light terracotta color. The bathroom is just plain old light blue with silver glitter particles in it. And what the kitchen will look like, I don't know. <laughs> I was not Dirty there for the planning. As always. Perfectly. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the kitchen is still missing, which is a pretty small room. And one and a half Damn. walls in the living room are missing. So Damn. yeah, we had a lot of different colored Sauruman prints with glitter effects Damn. sometimes. Yes. Okay, that's... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And absurdly enough, it all still works, yeah. which I didn't believe at first, but yeah, it definitely works. That's in, that, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it truly is. But they just decided, nope, can't live with white walls anymore, just not gonna do that shit. No, but I get it, I get it, Yeah, I get it. As I said, my walls are very blank right now, and I mm -hmm. still need to decorate them everywhere. I still need to put up the 
soundproofing panels in this room, <laughs> but I still have to find the right way to do it so that I don't have to, after a year, either get new paneling or when I move out eventually, have to basically paint the wall new because I also don't want to paint when I leave. I would very much like to not do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> very but fair. Okay. okay. Um, personally for me, this week has been tiring to, to say that mm -hmm. because on Tuesday I had to get up very, very early, like 6.30 in the morning. Like um, condolences? Yeah, mainly because I wanted to get a lot of work in before I go for a trip. Mm -hmm. I get to decide when I work myself and I get to take my own hours. So I am in charge of making sure that I make enough money a week. Mm -hmm. I don't have a plan that I have to work after. I just say to my boss when I want to work and I do that. Or I don't have to say tell it to my boss, but just put it into an Excel sheet and be done with it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I then went on a trip. Why did I go on this trip? Well, this trip was to um, the middle of Germany. Germany to a little town called Bad Harzburg, which uh, is a very nice city or a very nice town. But my grandparents live there because my grandfather, as old as he is, aged to the age of 90 years old on Tuesday, on Wednesday, no, on Tuesday, on the 4th of July. So first of all, he wants me to thank the whole internet for the US of America to for celebrating his birthday. <laughs> thank you for that. But please do not uh, set up fireworks in close proximity proximity to veterans or animals, please. Thank you. It was his birthday. It was his 90th birthday. And with that advanced age, there comes the realization, I might not get to the next mm. 10 and I might not get to the 100 years. So so he invited basically everyone. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then the, then the thing was, yeah, okay, I will make it work to get to my grandpa's birthday. So yeah, um, we then went there and celebrated his birthday in a very, very fancy restaurant there. All right. Um, three, uh, three meals um, or three part meals. Very, very lovely um, appetizer, spinach soup. Okay. Oh, didn't know that that mm -hmm. existed, but oh. me neither. But sure. Then we had schnitzel. <laughs> Perfect. With Perfect. asparagus. Uh, with asparagus, because it is still season. Mm. What was season. And yeah, then also a dessert. Um, a lot of drinking happened. <laughs> As per <laughs> usual. Champagne, on beers. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I did shots with my grandpa. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and and obviously they had to be clear so the liver don't see them coming, right? Oh no, it was Jägermeister. Oh damn, yeah, even better. <laughs> it was cold so Jägermeister. It was ice cold Jägermeister. <laughs> Perfect. So something healthy, right? Yes, something very <laughs> healthy. I met all kinds of different people from my family that I didn't know existed, mainly because the last time I saw them, I was like seven years old. Mm -hmm. Like, right, I know these people existed, but I never really had a connection to them because I was a kid back then and didn't really care. I only cared for the Nintendo DS in my hand at that time, which yeah. is very fun to see because now you're at the age of 24 at this birthday and see the kids of those people that saw you with 12 also only be interested in their <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Um, no judgment here because bro, same. Um, <laughs> and you're going to go on to do and you're gonna go on to do great things my guy yeah let's but i get it now <laughs> please just... I, I get it now 
<laughs> yeah, but right, we also have, as per usual with our European family, we also have family in Italy and France and the Italians came and I don't speak a lot of Italian. <laughs> <laughs> My Italian is very much only bene and 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 the hand sign, which yeah, but the, which is enough to communicate that the food that the food is good and that everything works or everything is shit or Either everything way, is shit. It yeah. works. It, yeah. It's a communication method that just works. I can pick up words from them what they're saying, but I cannot communicate everything. Late night, went to sleep, had to wake up early, didn't really sleep at all because sleeping on inflatable mattress isn't really that comfortable. Normally works for a night, but I just didn't sleep. Yeah, then had to travel back to Berlin yesterday on Wednesday. And yeah, I didn't sleep at all to today really because I had a math tutorial this morning to get up and I went to sleep way too late and I hate my body for it. Mm -hmm. If the sleep police is listening, I am sorry. I wanted to sleep. I couldn't. And now I can't go to sleep because I have to record and after this I have to work. So mm -hmm. cheers to that. Um, yeah, we are already very far into the recap, so let's do a quick fire round of TTRPGs. Did you have any, Nils? No. Good. Did That's I have a quick any? fire round. No. Perfect. <laughs> well, no, I had one on, on Thursday. Okay. It was a massacre. I'm going to say it like that. It was okay. a massacre. Mm -hmm. We um, mm -hmm. were standing in front of someone that basically called themselves God or King or blah, 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 an undying person because of some life crystal thingy, blah, 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 magic. And we fought. 30 different guards of this person, this demon, and summoned other demons. And it took us four and a half hours, a whole session, to murder everything. Damn. We okay. survived, but barely. And I also got turned into a dinosaur once, so that's okay. pretty cool. Okay. One of the mages of this, of this demon king polymorphed me into basically a very small dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Our wizard, who just fell down the stairs next to me, grabbed me as a dinosaur and gave me a potion of enlargement and turned me <laughs> basically into a T-Rex without teeth. <laughs> But I basically uh. became a big dinosaur. This lizard mage only knew small dinosaurs as the most uh, harmless thing ever. And then our wizard said, no, fuck that. I can't turn you back into a human, so I'm just gonna turn <laughs> you into make a big dinosaur. Unharmless. <laughs> mm. that, that's one reason I love TTRPGs. I mean, if you look at some battle maps randomly in, uh, in the midst of combat, you can have the party fighting somewhere in the fucking snow against undead yetis while there is a feathered T-Rex just stomping somewhere around in, on a walrus because something else got turned into a walrus. Mm -hmm. And everyone is just, okay, that's a thing. What the fuck? Mm. So much stuff happened. We killed everything. And boy, were we showered in blood after it. Mm -hmm. oh, and your characters, gosh. I can't imagine those. Trauma. Severe trauma. trauma. And yeah, um, that's all. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Low TTRPG week, you could say, but that's mm -hmm. only gonna be uh, ramping up from now on probably again because, yeah, now I have the time again personally. Mm -hmm. And after exams, there's also gonna be a lot more stuff. So yeah, yeah. I have nothing else. Me neither. So let's jump into our episode on high-level play in Dungeons Dragons and also other TTRPGs that have level scales and power levels. Hey listener, how are you enjoying the show so far? 
Tell us about it in whatever way you see fit. Go to our social media pages and add us or DM us about your favorite episode of the show. We would love to hear from you on what impact our show might have had on your home games. Or you could review us on your podcast app of choice and leave us a nice message with a five-star review. And if you want to go above and beyond, bring a friend into the fold. Tell them about our show and refer us to them so they can get a piece of the pie as well. Thank you for listening to Double DM and joining us on this incredible journey. So, Emi, I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I had a session zero uh, recently sure. with, uh, that proposed a new campaign uh, where we start, or in D&D, it's a D&D campaign where we start at level 11. Mm-hmm. I think it was level 11, so rather high level. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, how does high level <clears throat> play in D&D really feel like? Because I never really had that. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's not my usual go-to when I myself start jamming a campaign. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you uh, about that a bit. In general, high level play, not necessarily just one system, but overall, how does it feel and all of that. Uh-huh. Do you have any experience with high level play in TTRPGs? Um, well, in TTRPGs, Uh, given for whatever system we have, right? Yeah, I have for a few systems, I have probably what I would consider high-level experience. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about D&D for a minute here. The highest player characters I ever GM'd for were probably level 13. Mm -hmm. And I think even that was only a one-shot. The highest campaign I currently have is, I think, level 12 Mm -hmm. with my Tyranny of Dragons game, which is highly modified. Um, since the normal module ends at level 15, mine is going to end at level like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are level 12 right now. And yeah, that's the highest campaign I've ever had personally. Mm-hmm. So when your campaign starts at level 11, that is already basically just as high as I have ever gone in a campaign that started at level one. Yeah. So to that question that you just asked, I have to answer no. I've never had player characters level 19 or 20 do something Mm -hmm. in my or or finish a campaign or whatever i've never had that before i've had other campaigns and other systems finished where the characters were pretty much godlike or overstated or whatever but in D, Mm -hmm. not yet and now, personally, we can talk about the level range of D&D, which is 1 to 20. That's the level range that we have in D&D 5th edition. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to look at right now. So we have the spectrum of level 1 to level 20. Niels, where do your campaigns usually start and where do they usually end? And why these two points, if they're not the 1 and 20? Okay, um, most of my campaigns start around level 3. Mm-hmm. Just because there everyone got their subclass already, mm-hmm. or can choose it from the beginning, and or is rather already not that fragile anymore. Mm-hmm. So even if a goblin crits, it's not a TPK all mm-hmm. of a sudden. So I have a bit more uh, wiggle room uh, or everyone has a b- bit more wiggle room and you can already do some fun stuff, but mm-hmm. not to a degree that, that is game breaking on a first session. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like level three around that level two, three, four, something along those lines is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, choosing a subclass in play through a character arc or something along those lines is amazing, I think, or something mm-hmm. along those lines can be a lot of fun, but it's hard to <clears throat> build something that's so that everyone at the same time 
gets their subclass mm. and, I don't, and I'm not a huge fan of having the same group in different power levels or in different levels. Mm. To talk about the starting point, right? Three is the most often, I think, answered. That's where my campaigns start usually point mm. because of the reasons you've just mentioned for people, for most other people as well, right? The subclass thing is especially interesting to me because I find it very interesting to play characters that do not have a subclass yet mm. as well. I find that interesting. But the problem doesn't arise from not having a subclass. It arises from the other person next to me clearly has an advantage at this level because they already have a subclass. Exactly. If all subclasses would start at level three, I would love to play at level one every single time. Yeah. Because it means that the first two levels are very basic. A fighter is just a fighter. They're not an arcane archer. They are mm -hmm. a fighter that uses a bow. And when you hit level three, your GM can make that into a completely crucial moment in the story. The first two levels are tutorial, basically, yeah. if you want to say it like that. The problem with that, however, is that while for some it is a tutorial of this is how you shoot a bow, for others it's this is how you use the magic given to you by a fucking archdevil. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in that for me. Yeah. Uh, th that's why when I have a group of new people, mm. I a lot of times start at level one mm. and recommend, don't force or anything like that. They can all choose whatever they, uh, the fuck they want, but recommend something that gets their subclass at level three, just mm. because you can learn the basics of your class through the first two levels and then get additions as things move forward. This, uh, these are the basically the two main starting points, either everyone at level one or at level three, depending on the mm. situation and the classes yeah. that everyone wants to play and mm. how the experience level up of the table is if i have mm. one new player and four veterans we can go whatever level we like because five veterans can help a new player pretty pretty good i think yeah. at least all my uh, all of my tables and all of the tables that i've played and can can do that and are not just willing but um enjoying to do so mm. yeah but i think this is where we can now start discussing the design and the choices and blah because thinking about it right uh, with the warlock example you have the magic you get is all coming from an archdevil. It would mm. make no sense for the warlock to get their subclass not at the level that they're currently getting it at. Exactly. Because where does the magic come from for you or does a warlock not get magic until the pact? Because in the class description, in the metaphysical whatever this class is, they only get their magic through a pact. Mm. They have to have made that pact beforehand. But that's at the same time means that a fighter that has just been trained to fight can at some point else uh, take up a subclass because their basic training of how to fight is finished but now they are also learning how to shoot an arcane bow mm -hmm. uh, and they have unlocked the secrets to this arcane bow now after having trained with it so the the idea i get why subclasses start at different levels is completely okay for me but you need to have what what, what is more important to me than the subclass itself is what the subclass means what it stands for which yeah. means extra features extra flavor extra anything and that extra is missing from the classes that do not get it at level one or at level two mm -hmm. you need to get the give these classes something else so that there's a trade-off so that it's worth to start at level one for a group when one of them is a cleric and the other one is a warlock and the third is a fighter that doesn't have something for the first two levels to really identify them mm. right i am a cleric i'm a warlock i'm a fighter but the cleric is not just a cleric he's a cleric of light of the goddess of whatever the fuck yeah and the warlock is not just a warlock he's a warlock that made a pact with an arch fate to do this and this and the fighter yeah he's just a fighter mm. it, there needs to be something i understand why they did it because how the class is supposed to look and feel and work and play it makes sense 
but there is just no trade-off needed. And that's, this is why most people, I think, start at level three, because the imbalance that they feel, even though technically in game terms, it might not even be there. This is mm -hmm. important, but in game terms, it might not even be there that the difference is actually there because the features don't mean much. There is no big feature anyway. The just felt difference is huge. Yeah. And that was not mitigated. And this is also what high-level play is about. When we now get to the other end of the spectrum, it's all about the feeling. Even though the game, the math, might be mathing and it might everything may, may, might be making sense. If it doesn't feel like it's making sense, if it doesn't feel right, it just isn't for most people. And that is something that, well, in my opinion, you just have to accept. If, yeah. if your wizard player feels completely outbuffed by the sorcerer player, even though the math might not be saying that, that is still something that is just happening. And that's let's say it like that. That's a problem you can address at your table if one of your players feels underpowered mm -hmm. next to the others. Even though the game might not be saying it, they might feel like that. And that's still valid. And that's still something that you can talk about. We can't just argue with numbers here. We also have to argue with what it actually feels like to play the game because that is what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. To play the game, not to let a machine play the game. I don't need an AI dungeon master mm -hmm. that exactly calculates everything i don't need that yeah because i i think especially in the caster versus uh, marshall divide mm. or a discussion that is always there even if the math uh, because it definitely does a fighter does more dps than a wizard or more cons uh, consistently but it still feels like the caster is way way more powerful than the fighter just because they have way more tools at their disposal and they're way more versatile for all of the situations mm. because they have so much weird and cool shit they can do mm. so it just feels like there's something wrong yeah. even though the math doesn't suggest it or it mm. doesn't tell that it is but the feeling is exactly the point where this gets difficult you could say mm. yeah always <laughs> gets difficult with feelings yeah and uh, way that i would prevent that or try or would try to uh, mitigate that feeling is to build the encounters differently yeah you can't design a, an encounter for a third level party the same way as you do for a 17th or 19th level party uh, no or can't. You, you can but then the feeling of um the gap between marshals and the casters or whatever the fuck right is just way more felt because if you mm -hmm. have an encounter where at third level everyone has the same objective survive basically or do this and this and the approach is pretty similar because you don't have all the tools yet mm -hmm. but if you have all the tools like with level 20 you can have so many different approaches to mm -hmm. a simple uh, solution or to a simple problem mm -hmm. that if you want to challenge them all uh, want to challenge all of them in their own field of expertise you have to build an encounter that specifically highlights sp uh, certain fields of expertises yeah 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 i agree with that the thing is right if you if you design something for level three you can be very straightforward with what you design yeah or you will be because it is still simple right the fighter has this many features the cleric has this many features the wizard has this many spells it's all very manageable you can take a look at the character sheets your players have and for a quick glance you as a gm can see everything that you need to see to find out what encounter you need to design mm -hmm. now look at the spell list of levels of level 17 wizard they have first of all they have spell slots of every level so that's nine spell slot levels plus cantrips. They have probably around 38 base spells. That's the 30, 17 times two 
plus four is the minimum the wizard has because they get two spells at every level. Mm -hmm. Plus probably all the spells they picked up along the campaign. So let's just go with like something like 45 to 50. Mm -hmm. And the thing with that is, I think the wizard spell list is around 350 different spells. Something along those lines if you count all the cantrips. So there is a wide variety of different combinations of spells that mm -hmm. uh, these characters, uh, these types of characters can have. And it's not as straightforward anymore. But the same goes for the fighter even. Mm -hmm. Even though they might not have a spell list. They have four or five features. They have very high ability scores with their constant ASIs. They might have feats. Yeah. Um, they might have magic items. It's something that is completely in your control as a dungeon master, by the way, or as a game master, to hand out or hand not out. If you don't hand out magic items and just say this campaign is completely without magic items to your players, right? That gives you a little bit more manageability <laughs> because you don't have to look at magic items anymore. But basically what this means is the higher level you go in Dungeons and Dragons, the more options your players have to do bigger things mm -hmm. it's not just that they have to that they can do bigger things like the fireball doesn't increase right for example kind of would be fun would be a game where uh, you basically get three spells at the beginning and the only thing you level is that those three spells more range more damage more whatever mm -hmm. more effects would be interesting as well uh, would still be very manageable but maybe be able to very to still see the high level play with that if you yeah. get to com if you get to engineer your spells in that way but in D&D you have not just cool things at your disposal to do like changing the weather stopping time you have so many options to do cool different things you don't just have time stop you have time stop weather change gravity change teleportation across planes whatever the fuck right mm -hmm. um, meteor swarms and wish as a fucking catch all for all the rest things you want to do there's just so much and you as a game master cannot keep track of that so the first advice for designing high level play that I have even though the highest I've been at is 12 but even at that point like at, le at, at like level 7, 8, 9 I just stop looking at the character sheets of my players because I know I cannot keep track of everything they have it's just exactly. not possible for me as one person to keep track of four different characters what they all can do what they all have right i have my i have the basic knowledge of new features especially so i can tell my players when they do something oh you have that new feature by the way why don't you use it this time right mm -hmm. or whatever but i cannot keep track of everything it's the player's job to do that in my opinion mm -hmm. because i just cannot as a gm i would like to but i can't yeah but that means that the first advice for designing high level play is to stop caring what's on the character sheet mm -hmm. uh, th this sounds completely ridiculous but something that a lot of gms that i I've talked to over the years have said to me is basically always the same. It doesn't matter who the characters are. Design the encounter void of the characters. Design an organic encounter for the region or story therein. Design, an, design a good encounter regardless of who they are. Mm -hmm. And that is true. Gonna be very honest. It is true as fuck to stop caring what characters you have and start designing the encounter that you think is just best for the situation currently at hand. Hmm. That also includes designing a monster that is somewhat challenging these players, obviously. But challenging these players doesn't mean that they can counter every single spell that the players have so you can get them to do other cool things. It means that you have a monster that, when you look at it on a first glance, once again, the first glance base is just as strong as one of the player characters or just as strong as the group of player characters. You don't have to analyze everything. You cannot work out every possibility after like level 7 in D&D anyway. Yeah. Stop trying. And I think there is a difference, at least for me, when 
starting at a very high level or getting to that and then playing at that level just in the feel that you as a uh, game master or dungeon master have when mm. you want to design encounters or as a player character when you are suddenly suddenly playing at that level or building up towards it just mm. because when you completely start at this like let's say you start at level 16 mm. you're more or less suddenly plunged into this character mm. you may know how all of these things work mechanically but you still have to figure out when to use every single ability when you prog uh, progress through the game towards that level you always get you nearly get only a new feature once you've learned how to use the other features and in what situations you can use mm -hmm. them and then the combination of those and then mm -hmm. so on and so forth you're expanding your tool chest rather than just getting into a completely fitted workshop yeah but really for high level play uh, i think it's also fun to think about this right a lot of people ask how can i challenge my high level players because it's a hard question to ask and I've asked it myself and I will ask it myself again and everyone will and it's just how it is. So for example you have your players currently, I don't know wandering through a desert and you want them to be attacked by something that lurks beneath the sand. And you have this very cool monster plant and it has a very low whatever modifier. I don't know which one is needed but the wizard casts Polymorph. You fail the saving throw and now players have this 1 HP rabbit with them that they can just leave behind. They completely circumvented your encounter. Or did they? Because, well, maybe they've instantly outsmarted you? No, I don't think that that's true. Because the player had made a decision, okay, I'm gonna cast Polymorph, let's hope it works. And then the dice, who are a part of the game, told the story that this is what is supposed to happen right now. And yeah. it happened. And boom. Yeah, sure, it might feel a little bit stingy, I'm not gonna lie, but honestly, at the same time, what a cool fucking moment. Because if it would have not worked, maybe the wizard would have put himself in a very bad position for this monster to eat him. Yeah, It's a split decision in the fight. It's a thing that happens. It's luck involved. It's everything we want from GTRPGs. Mm -hmm. And sure, yeah, you didn't get to nearly kill your player characters once again, but hey, the next fight will come and that monster will not fail the saving throw and huh, no big deal. You did not fail to design an encounter. Your players just dealt with an encounter. You engaged them with the encounter and they dealt with it in their own way. That's what's supposed to happen. Exactly. And I think it's easier at high levels to have your ego hurt, in the, uh, if you want to uh, call it like that, if your amazing encounter got circumvented by casting Polymorph, for example. Mm -hmm. It's way, or it feels more of a of an shot to, the, to your own ego, but we are not here to compare egos or who has the best encounter or whatever the fuck. We are here to cre create an amazing story and have fun. Mm -hmm. And so just put, this is an advice for everyone, not just GMs or uh, or players, it's for both. Put your ego aside. Oh, in yeah. That, in that regard. No one cares if your monster say, uh, failed the saving throw or didn't. Or no one should care. Only the story should care. Because, yeah, okay, your monster uh, got polymorphed. Okay, cool. Now deal with it. And don't be mad about it. Because mm -hmm. an amazing counter has gone to waste. No, it hasn't. It has just been solved in a different way than you anticipated. And that's, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and that's where we get back to what we once said, right? Don't design encounters with a solution in mind. Exactly. Design situations. Design mm -hmm. a situation where your players are in a desert and get attacked by a sandworm. Because the sandworm wants to eat something. You don't know if your players are going to win or lose that fight. So why are you so mad that your players won the fight? Mm -hmm. Right? Don't you want them to win? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, D&D &D is a power fantasy. So please let mm. your players play out that power. Yeah. Because 
they get more powerful. That's the way this game is designed for a reason. Mm. They have all these cool, amazing and weird shit and features and whatever the fuck. Let them use it. Create situations where they might use it. Not they have to, but they might. And then go with it. Because that's amazing for you, that's amazing for the story, and therefore it's amazing for mm. everyone at the table. Yeah. Don't we always talk as a TTRPG hobby and group that we want our players to win? Don't we always say we're on the side of the players? But then when they do something fucking epic, to be exact, polymorph a giant creature into a rabbit or whatever, mm. and run away? I mean, that's fucking... I mean, yeah, sure, again, the cool epic fight could have been just as epic. But this single moment was also very epic for the players probably yeah so if you preach being a fan of your players you should also preach that your players should be able to use polymorph to circumvent every fight that they get across if they mm. want to because at some point they won't and again if you really want your players to not polymorph something you have a thousand options at your disposal against it yeah i don't know polymorph i don't know what what the what the save for that is but the monster has a very high safety seat legendary fucking resistances are, are a thing that exist transmutable in, forms transmutable in intransmutable form. form fucking counter spell you have yeah. options as well so if you really want to counter your players which i'm gonna say on high level play is gonna be one of the tactics you are able and allowed and should use mm -hmm. but you don't counter your players by blocking off everything but you can always disable a few tools that they like to use to make them use one of the other cool tools that they have but you don't do that so you get your players into peril and uh, basically kill their characters you do that so they can use the other cool stuff that they have. You exactly. use that to enable them once again. This is not about disabling them, it's about enabling them always. At every given level, at every given point, but especially in high level, they have a lot of options and they mm -hmm. will tend to the ones that they can use best, that they find best. Mm -hmm. Disabling those will just give them the opportunity to do other things that they also like but haven't done. Mm -hmm. And I think you just touched on a, a good subject there because in a lower level you can make an encounter harder or more difficult or whatever by just increasing the numbers on the monster mm. using a different monster that has higher base stats higher hp higher damage and whatever at higher levels that gets more difficult because they have all the different tools at their disposal to stop that damage to heal back that damage or to prevent something and to deal even more damage. But I think one of the main things that you can do to increase the challenge of a situation is play the monsters to their best or to all of their or use all of their abilities in a way that these creatures would or could use it. Uh, we, we talked mm -hmm. about that in a episode about uh, monster tactics or enemy tactics. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an amazing way to create situations that are challenging without just increasing damage and HP. Because in, for example, in video games, I hate it when I just play hard mode and then I play super hard mode but the only thing that's changed is the HP level and the damage mm. because that's not really fun but if it forces me to think differently that's where it's getting uh, where it gets interesting mm. yeah I mean right you can always buff numbers to yeah. make stuff different right you can also at high level play you can also just give your monster 1000 HP more and it's going to create a different longer harder fight for your players but yeah <laughs> it's the easy cop out but it's a good reason why it's the easy cop out it's easy and you should use it. It's not that it's a cheap trick or whatever. Adjusting the monster HP on the fly is a cheap trick. Now we can discuss if that's okay or not. Blah, blah, blah. Fudging dice, fudging rolls, fudging things. I hate it. We don't talk about it yet at least. Maybe at some point, once again, I will not 
do this episode as, as unless I have to. <laughs> um, but at high level play, right? The thing is what you always have to remember is if your players have a lot of options at their disposal or a lot of things at their disposal, a lot of power at their disposal, mm -hmm. do you know who also has that power? You. Because... Right? Your players are able to survive everything. So why mm -hmm. not throw that lich riding a Tarasque at them? Yeah. Why the fuck not? Hmm. They can survive everything else, so why not try this? And huh, if they die, they die. Exactly. If they live, they live. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's one thing that you always got to keep in mind. And th this is not only for D&D, but for basically every TTRPG, is that yeah. as long as or in the same way as your player's tool chests expands, so does mm. yours. Or basically, you have all the tools already, but mm. you're unlocking them to use them in a way that's not just instantly, okay, I killed my players. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the thing. That's one thing that I always try to try to do, mm. have a challenging experience, but without necessarily killing my players. Mm. If it happens, it happens. Mm. But it's no fun for anyone if I put a level 3 party against a Terras, because mm. if you want to kill something in your games, it's no challenge for you, because you can just use whatever monsters would f fit best. Oh yeah, now there are five Tarasque. Cool, you're dead. Mm. That's not fun and no real experience. Yeah. But if you have all these tools at your disposal that you can use without exactly creating such, an, uh, such a situation where everyone just dies or loses or whatever, mm -hmm. then it gets interesting because you have all these tools that you can mm -hmm. use in a different combination. And experimenting with different combinations of different tools that you have, using the environment to, um, to, their, to the advantage of the opponent using a different combination of monsters or opponents or whatever this is where the fun begins where you can now have where you now have a riddle that you as a gm have to solve or want to solve to create an amazing situation where you don't know the answer to but will come out in play through the input of your characters through the prompts that you give them Niels, let me ask you a question all right who is superman's greatest villain well not canon technically for you personally what or what can what do you think of when you think of superman villain Who's the first, whatever? I don't know any Superman villains. Oh. So I would say Kryptonite. Haha. -ha. I hate him here. <laughs> um, you don't know any villains' names. Please no, tell I've me. I've never seen any movies, read any comics, or nothing. I am not a big fan of Superman. I just okay. know he can fly and okay. powered okay. by the sun. Okay, okay, okay. Who is the greatest villain for Batman? The Joker. Why? Now we can just get into a discussion. Why? <laughs> and I think there are, there's going to be a lot of different comic books and movie discussions about this. But I want to focus on the fact that what makes the Joker the Joker? Just the way he interacts with um, the the world around him and his reasoning. Yes, yes, yes. Or the lack yes, thereof. Yes, yes, yes. But more on a comic book power level. He doesn't have powers. Exactly. He's just, he's just a now, dude. The thing about Batman is he also doesn't have power. So that's why I didn't want to use Batman. I yeah. wanted to use Superman's Lex Luthor, who's just a rich fucking asshole. Ah, oh yeah, Lex Luthor. I, I've heard that name. Obviously you've heard that name. It's one of the most iconic villains in comic books. But he's Superman. He's one of Superman's villains. He's one of the first villains of Superman as far as I know. Superman. Being an alien, being able to fly, laser eyes, cold breath, x-ray vision, whatever they want him to do, he was able to do it. And yet still, 
a villain with no human superpowers. An ordinary human with no superpowers was able to be a villain, be a threat to Superman. And you as a dungeon master can do exactly what the comic writers did with Lex Luthor. Your players are high level. They are Superman. They are Batman. They are Spider-Man. They are Iron Man. They are Doctor Strange. And their villains don't always have to be Ultron or um, Loki from the Avengers. Or, or Dormammu or whatever. Or Dormammu like. or um, Darkseid from DC. They don't have to be these powerful ultra beings that kill and destroy everything they want. Mm. They can also be fucking huge humans or normal people that have a way different way of threatening these characters. The threat doesn't have to always be physically, right? Or even mentally. It can be a threat to something entirely different, right? Lex Luthor's entire villain type is more or less the villain that gets Superman so he doesn't, he isn't able to use his powers against him because that wouldn't work for Superman. Superman cannot kill Lex Luthor because Lex Luthor is a human and killing him would mean that Superman is a killer. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Lex Luthor threatens basically everything Superman stands for and is and loves and cares for so that Superman just cannot stop him or can only stop him if he does something, right? I don't want mm -hmm. to get into comics because I haven't read that many comics. The villain of Lex Luthor is someone that doesn't use overwhelming force and power to achieve what he wants. And you can do the same with your characters. Mm -hmm. If your characters are able to cast Wish, maybe Wish is even the easy mm -hmm. cop-out because they can just wish the villain away, blah, blah, blah. We all know that theoretically everything works with Wish, so let's take Wish out of the equation. But if mm -hmm. your players are able to cast ninth level spells and do everything they want. You don't have to threaten them with, oh yeah, this villain is even stronger than you are and you have to fight him or you die. But this villain goes, yeah, okay, cool, you guys want to kill me, but if you do that, something bad happens and you cannot stop it. So I guess we're not gonna do it then, right? Exactly. Like the target of the threats of your villain in high-level play. Players are not necessarily the best target for those threats. Mm -hmm. They can be, but they don't have to be. Yeah. But rather the world, the people around them, the confines of reality or whatever, right? Something that the players or the characters still need in the world for without it, the world is done. Being yeah. it the world itself or the confines of uh, reality, being it uh, natural forces or all of the people in the world, something along those lines. Mm. Because without a world, there is nothing to fight for. Yeah. But if that way of life is threatened, then they have a reason and then you can play with moral quandaries and all mm -hmm. of that fun stuff. That is not necessarily a priority at lower levels, but at higher levels, uh, one of our crew died. Okay, yeah, so let's just wait 500 years. We have true resurrection, no biggie. We, we can get him back. That That's not a big deal. But being able to threaten everything around it that the players not necessarily can directly change if that happens. This is the uh, interesting or important part of how you can still propose a threat, even though the threat isn't focused on the players themselves. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know if this is actually a Superman plot. So, but I'm but I just thinking about it, right? Superman visits Lex Luthor and Lex Luthor says, ha, you can't kill me because if you do, everyone will know that you're first of all, not a savior. And second of all, if you do that, uh, I have, I don't know, a thousand fail saves that will destroy everything else, right? Bas mm -hmm. Basic, basic, basic stuff. Yeah. But like, this is gonna play with your players. You're playing a mental game 
game with your players. You're playing a mental mm-hmm. game of chess because your players know that they have to stop this villain. And as they are the heroes, they want to be the heroes. They want to they want to save the world and stop the villain, but they can't. Mm-hmm. This is a way better challenge than haha! I am the giant planet eater. I will fight you. Ah! Oh no, you beat me. Mm-hmm. I die. Whatever. Right? Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I enjoy fucking both. I enjoy both. Mm-hmm. And both are valid. As with everything, basically, you just have to choose. You just have to do something. You don't have to do everything at once. You don't have to do just one thing, but do something that works. And for that, is you don't always have to increase the threat. You can always uh, just separate the threat. You can choose many targets. One fun thing, I find high-level play works, personally, especially in this threat and uh, being heroes kind of way, is Aegon. Mm-hmm. A TTRPG that we are currently playing. Right, yeah. we as a group, you as the strife player, which is the GM for that system. And in the final confrontation, right, there's three stages. And even though the, he- the the characters are from beginning to end of the game, they are fucking overpowered. I'm gonna be honest. Mm-hmm. Even at the beginning, where they're supposed to be like these mythic people, they might not necessarily be heroes of ancient epic tales. Not yet, at least. But they are very much better than every ordinary human ever will be. Definitely. And that, that is the basis of it. You mm-hmm. have the capability to become a hero. Now show us how you can become a hero with this exactly. system. Perfect premise. Great. But it's high-level play to ultra-high-level play, basically. <laughs> yeah. In the three different phases of the final confrontation deals, we have the clash phase, the threat phase, and the... Finale. The the, the final battle, you could say. It's, def- it's literally called finale. In the first phase, it's basically how you interact with a villain once you see them the first, uh, or interact with them the first time, basically. Mm-hmm. In the threat phase, it's weighing if you want to block threats or want to seize control of the situation itself. Mm -hmm. Because if you seize control, the threats might still happen. Yeah. Or if you block the threats, the villain is still in control. Yeah. But that's the interesting part of it. Mm -hmm. Because the Strife player, I don't know what it actually looks for the Strife player on your end, but the Strife player basically decides this opponent... It's going to create a threat there, there, and there. Mm-hmm. And you as the heroes need to fully decide, do you want to seize control? If you don't block the threats, the threats still happen. If you don't seize control, the opponent has control. Mm-hmm. And they decide what happens if they win. Exactly. Th- that's the part. If you seize control, you uh, can decide what will happen to the opposing side, whether you win or you lose. Both is decided by you. Let's be honest. That is the most essence of being a high level Mm. character in a TTRPG. You have full control of the situation at hand right now. And now in Aegon, which is a very, very more story focused game than D&D, right? In D&D, the story is overlaid onto the system. In Aegon, it is baked in. It is part of it. Because you as the player can decide, yeah, if I lose this contest, this enemy kills me. And only that way is for you basically to die, right? Mm -hmm. That's the only way you can die. Is that correct, Niels? I don't know if you... Uh, and, and not necessarily. It depends. Um, you can still, you can, uh, you yourself can say, I want to die in this contest, mm. but therefore definitely succeeding no matter what I rolled. This, this is also a possibility. Yeah. There's no game mechanical way that I can get killed without my, without me saying I want this. 
Exactly, because uh, no, because the story itself doesn't care if you die or not. Because yes. the game ends if your story is done. However, the story is done. Being it if you return to to your home, settle down, get killed, get lost, or mm. venture through the underworld, whatever. This is when you've met your fate. Then you can decide how you want to, uh, how you want your story to end. It's all on you. You mm. decide if you want to die or not, and all of this stuff. Mm. <coughs> and let's be honest, uh, these characters, especially if you're playing in a group of like like three to four people, one of them is going to beat the contest every time. Yeah. So you basically do everything that you set out to do because you just want to do. It's nearly impossible to not win nearly every contest. <laughs> Because in, in Aegon, it's if one of your group, one, meets the target number, basically meets the DC, the whole thing is won by the group of players. Only if everyone fails, then the thing or the villain happens. Mm -hmm. And that's nearly never. Nearly never, yeah. It can be, but it's highly unlikely, yeah. even from the first time. You, you, I mean, you get way stronger with, with time, but mm -hmm. you're also fucking, fucking amazing from the get-go. Yeah. Because yeah. no matter how weak you are, in quotation marks weak, in, in the first session you could theoretically best a god in theory in theory that doesn't necessarily mean that you kill the god because eh, immortality god, and shit. Blah, blah, blah. but you can still best it mm. and most likely because just of pure chance because someone will roll high enough chance will always happen um, but i exactly. think especially with aegon as a system it just plays so well into that power fantasy perfect hero trope for me. Mm -hmm. As a system, right, you have basically full control over your character. Right, You have always full control over your character, but in Aegon, it's so easy to say, I'm not going to be part of a contest because I don't want to be. And mm. then nothing can damage you in that contest because you're not part of the contest. Exactly. If you say, I'm not going to do the thing that we need to do because someone else will do it for us, I don't have to do it. I, you're never forced to make a role in Aegon. At least I have not seen no, that. Uh, you're definitely not forced. You cannot be forced because you as a player have the full control. That is mm -hmm. also power fantasy and the game gives the power fantasy of that character to the player. I don't know if that's intentional by John Harper who made the system or who made Blades in the Dark as well but I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's truly amazing. It, it definitely plays perfectly into what Aegon is. Yeah, um, because for the, me. the whole premise of this thing mm -hmm. is you as a character, you as a, mm -hmm. uh, a medieval, you're, you as an ancient mythological hero play this game or you as a player who plays this hero is there to create a story that is maybe told for eons to come. Mm -hmm. And n no one cares, uh, not necessarily how you did what, but what you did and how it played out mm -hmm. on the world around you. Because that's what is being told. No mm -hmm. one is going to uh, talk about how many strikes it took you or uh, with a weapon to best this giant or this cyclops or this mm -hmm. sea monster. No one cares. They only care that you bested it. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing. And now looking at Aegon once again, it's a fucking basic system. That's not an insult to the system or John Harper, by the way, because it doesn't have to be more than what I see here. The character sheet is literally one page. Exactly. You have your epithet, you have your name, you have your lineage or prone, you have the lineage and pronouns, you have the sign off, you have honored gods, you have your domains, you have your divine favor, and that's it. Yeah, it, it, that's it's half a page. It. <laughs> that's all you need to roll. You then also have your bonds that you can use, you have your great deeds that you can use, you have your, some place to track your glory, right? The, the little bit extra stuff, basically. Mm. But generally, looking at this, right? All the information, all the options I have mm. are on a page. And most of these things aren't even options. The options I have is what domain do I use if my Strife player allows me to argue what domain I want to use. Mm. 
if I want to use a divine favor, if I want to use a bond, if I want to use a great deed or trophy, yeah. that's it. That's four, four different decisions I can even make in the system. Yeah, and the rest is up to your imagination and what you want to do. But these four decisions alone lead to these incredible high level, high profile things. Mm -hmm. You don't need thousand options to create high-level play. Exactly. Because everything on that character sheet can be put onto a post-it note. You don't have to make it complex to make it high-level. What is more important for high-level play, for me, as I see with Aegon, is the feeling of high-level. Yeah. It's the feeling of being epic and hero heroic and mythic and whatnot all you want to use. Mm -hmm. Of being a god, basically. Yeah. That is where it's at. And you can evoke that feeling, first of all, as a GM, by creating challenges, by creating a world that allows your players to feel that epicness, but second of all, by the system you play. Mm -hmm. In Aegon, every time we play, I feel like a fucking ancient epic hero. I mean, that's because you are every one of you. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but that's by design. Yeah. In D&D, at the beginning, feel like a fucking commoner and normal person, and at the end, like a god. Now, yeah. that is also something that might be desired, right? That, that journey of starting small, becoming basically the biggest. But if you want to just do high-level play, just choose a system that basically only does high-level play. If you want to only do low-level play, just choose a system only does low-level play. You don't always have to use D&D &D and, for example, limit the ranges of the level, because I feel think that there's a merit in using all 20 of D&D's levels. If they mm -hmm. would be a little bit better designed, if everything would be a little bit better, right? D&D &D has a lot of design problems for me. We all know that I don't necessarily like the design of D&D &D best anymore, but it's a good system still for me, personally. It's fun. I can play it with my friends. They all know it. That's why I play it mostly. It's not because I really think that it's the best system out there. But it has that advantage that I have theoretically a very big range to choose from, which is good. Exactly. And overall, just choose every situation that you want to play or every scenario that you want to play has a system be, uh, has some system that works best for that scenario and then don't be afraid to try out new things and try out new systems that work for the scenarios that you want to play yeah be be very open to that especially right if you want to do one specific style high mm -hmm. level low level don't gravitate to a system that kinda does it, but right, the thing about D&D &D is that it kinda wants to do way too much. Aegon doesn't want to do too much. Aegon wants you to be a fucking hero and be done after like 10 sessions. Yeah, exactly. Or even after one session. Yeah, because... The, the journey itself is just, or the things that you experience is the important part, not how you achieve them necessarily. Yeah. Or yeah. in what order. It doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> and that's why Aegon, right? Aegon is very episodic design. D&D &D is yeah. a, D&D &D is isn't necessarily very episodic when looking mm -hmm. at a game like Aegon, where every island is itself contained, challenge, trial, and whatever. And at the end, it only matters that we bested the challenge of that island. Exactly. We did this and this. We did this and that on this island we did this on this island mm. it doesn't matter if that island actually was the first or the last exactly. it just yeah. matters that we did something yeah the the only thing that matters in Aegon is what you did and not in what order because even if you used some sort of things that you found on one island because you bested that challenge it doesn't mean that you couldn't have done it without it you mm. most certainly could have so it doesn't matter if you um, best a god in the first one but then perish to a pitchfork in the second mm -hmm. it could also have been you've been stabbed by a pitchfork fork in the first island and then bested the god. No mm -hmm. one cares as long as you know what you did. 
and in D&D or similar games, it's more of a, this happened because of that, and that happened because of that, and it builds more on top of each other. It's more connected. What you just said is very interesting to me, because I think we can draw from that for basically all high-level players, the last advice for this episode. Right? It doesn't matter how you did it, it just matters what you did. Now, this is specifically for Aegon said, right? In D&D or other systems, it could matter way more how you actually do the thing. But still, the what you did is important. Because if you're at high level, I think that's my big problem with actually starting at high level to get back to what you asked in the beginning. How did I get here is not necessarily important, but what did I do with my powers beforehand? Yeah. Right? What great deeds, to use Aegon's language, did I already achieve? I am level 12 or level 11. I have the power to fucking change the weather. Mm. Why did I never do anything with that? Or brother, what did I do with that? Because I would definitely do something with that. Exactly. And that is the importance of high-level play for me, to get back to that feeling of high-level play. Showcasing the great, important, fucking cool shit that has been done, that was done, that is being done right now. That needs to be highlighted. Exactly. The high-level play is about the grand, big things. You have to have the grand big things. You have to have the grand big things to happen. They need to save an entire city from extinction from a meteor swarm. Because otherwise, they wouldn't be able to use the cool powers that they have. Exactly. Yeah, perfectly said. Yeah. And I think with that, I don't have anything else regarding that. Do you? Uh, I think I'm basically done with everything I wanted to say. So yeah, then thanks for listening and see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Double DM. It appears you liked this one. What we had to say and our advice helped you. Why not show us how we helped you in a rating? Or even write a review detailing us how we helped. You can do this on the platform that you are listening on right now. It's just a few clicks, doesn't take long and helps us out. It gets us out there and our advice into more ears of more people. Thanks again for listening and joining us on this amazing journey. Have a great day and see you on the next one. Bye bye.